Well, and here we are again. Um, I, I am excited to be here with you today, and I'm excited. Uh, I'm, obviously, I'm overly excited because I'm, you know, like jumping the gun on the video that I said we needed to put in there. So, oops. Um, but this is, some people, some people have Black Friday. This is my Black Friday. Um, is like, I'm excited. I'm ready to rush in because I, I love this time of anticipation. I love this time of, uh, I love this time of preparation, of preparing our hearts, and this time of reflecting on Christ. I love this time of reclaiming the heart of why we celebrate this season. And so I hope that over the next four weeks, as we take time during Advent, that, uh, that you're going to reclaim the heart of that with us. I, I have to admit, though, that I am coming in with some mixed feelings, okay, because it, it, it's... It is hard to talk about hope when sometimes you are struggling with feeling hopeful. And, I, and I'll be real, I have been struggling with that this week. Um, I really have. And, and there are probably a lot of reasons. I mean, it's nice and sunny outside, so maybe it's kind of like hard to talk about it. But like this past week has been like, ugh. you know, like, I mean, ever since daylight savings went away, it's like we got plunged into a really dark, wet hole. And I'm kind of like, uh you know, I'm sure you're feeling it with me too. I'm, I'm sure some of it is just um, some of it. You know, the stuff that you go through when you're when you're when you're pastoring a congregation, when you're when you're spending time, you know, shepherding people, right? And you take on burdens, and sometimes you go, Ugh, you know, and that's that's life. But I tell you, it's really what's really been weighing on me and my heart this week has been um, has been uh, the the situation in Ferguson, Missouri. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. Um, you know, being from the States, I've, I've stayed a little more connected with it. But, and, and regardless, of, regardless of what you think about the situation, I just know that there's a lot of people feeling a lot of discontent and a lot of people that I love that are feeling a lot of discontent. Um, about a lot of got friends that are on both sides, um, friends that are on, on all sides of the beach issue that are feeling that way. And it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and, and the thing that I keep hearing over and over again is, why does stuff like this keep happening? Why do, you know, why do we have, you know, why do we have economic situations where, where people are over and under? Why do we have cultural situations where where one color of one skin somehow makes one different than another why are we living in uh, why are we living in situations where where power is abused rather than trusted why even with all of the all of the technology that we have all of the the, the philosophical advances all of the advances of society why why does this keep happening why do things like this keep happening why why does life get wasted? Why do people respond to tragedy by busting up storefronts and grabbing TVs? Like why? And so and so you know that's that's fresh on my mind as I'm coming to talk to you today about the first and kind of the primary foundation of advent which is the hope that we profess 
And how on earth am I supposed to talk about hope? And, 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 and even, if the, even if the situation from Ferguson is far away from you, it wasn't, but a, it wasn't but a month ago that we were dealing with a Ferguson-like situation in Parliament Hill. And people were asking, how could this happen? Why does this happen? What are we supposed to do with this? And then the question comes up that is usually attached to that, where is God in all of this? And I'll be honest with you this morning, I don't know the answer to the question, where is God in all of this, all the time? And you may want to take away my preaching license now, because you're like, you're the, you're the preacher, you're supposed to know. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And the reason that I'm not is because hope is not always something that is grounded in the rational explanation. In fact, a lot of times hope has to stand in the face of the rational explanation. Hope stands in the face of the way things are and offers an alternate reality of the way things might be, of the way things are going to be. In fact, I would, I would put that hope really isn't hope unless it's able to be laid on top of and in contrast with despair. Problem is, is that I think, I think the response of the church has often been to the brokenness of the world is, is just kind of, yep, it's busted. And we kind, of, we kind of wring our hands when it comes to what are we supposed to say about the brokenness of the world? Because, because if we say... Well, yeah, it's because we're all sinful people. Then we, then everybody just kind of goes and like lumps us in with Westboro Baptist or something, okay? And 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 says, oh, yeah, way to go, you know, like kick us when we're down. And that's not a good response. But at the same time, if we don't actually entertain that the despair, if we don't entertain the brokenness, and we're just kind of like, no, 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 we're, you know, everything's great, and we're all Christians, and we've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and the world goes, where? Where? And it looks like we're whistling in the dark. It looks like we're not actually dealing with reality. It looks like we're delusional. So what is the church's answer? How do we hold out hope? In the face of despair. How do we hold out hope when even we ourselves are saying, I, I wrestle with the hopelessness at times. I, I wrestle with that. I deal with that. Some of the, one of the things I think that we need to realize is that while redemption and while the triumph of God and while the power and the sovereignty of God, that those are all major themes throughout the story that we've been reading about and, and working through all the way through this year, okay? Have we forgotten, possibly, that there are also major themes in the Bible of pain and despair and injustice? We, we read them, we read them just this morning. In Psalm 80, there is, this, there is this cry of like, there was this time where we were together with you and now we feel separate and we need to please restore us, God, because we're separate. Please restore us together because we're broken. And, and Isaiah, 
in, in many, many places, and especially this reading that we read in 64 today, it is a reading that is couched in the hope of redemption, in the face of brokenness. Not just assuming that hope is there, but, but, but trusting that hope is on the way. And, and I think that, like I said, hope only makes sense when it's laid against the reality and the validity of despair. And I think our reading this morning out of Isaiah does that so, so well. When we look at the state of Israel, when we look at where they are in this chapter, okay, there is this sense of loss of identity. We don't know who we are. We used to know who we are. And, and we used to know who you were. We have these old stories of your righteousness. We have these, these legends of your awesomeness and what you did back in the day. And you did all of these amazing things that we did not expect. And you came down and the mountains trembled before you. And since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God quite like you, God. We know that that's the way things were, but that's not the way things are. And, he, and, and, and the author lays this foundation of, Here's how you have been, and then here's how things are. And yet our sin has separated us from you. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I think that's... I, the, 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 the power of that phrase strikes me so much because you consider what exactly the author is saying there. It's not the worst parts of me that are inadequate. It's even the best parts of me that are inadequate to restore my relationship with God. Despair. Despair. If anything, can we come to the understanding that it's okay to despair? That the Bible allows us to do that and that it's okay. I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times, a lot of the stress and a lot of the difficulty that we face in our walk and, and in our identity as Christians is that we think that simply because we know the hope that we profess, that it's not okay to despair. Israel knows the hope that they profess, they know the character of God, they know who He is. And yet they despair in the reality of who they are sometimes, right? Have we lost the ability to, to, to think that that's okay? Because the word that I see allows for us to acknowledge our need. And allows for us to acknowledge our deficiency. And we must. Because if we aren't acknowledging those needs then how can we make ourselves open for the presence of God to enter into that area? If we deny that it exists, there's no place for his spirit to move. And the only solution 
And see, and this is what I love, okay? And, and, and this is what Advent really is about, I believe, okay? This, this idea of the revealing of God, of, of, of this anticipation of the revelation and the celebration that comes when it's going to be fully there. Is it the only solution to the external brokenness of the world and the internal despair and even sometimes the internal apathy that comes with that? That sometimes I find myself saying, I guess this is what I guess this is all there is. The only solution is that God must insert himself physically into the story. And I love this plea in sixty four, one and two. Oh, that you would just tear the heavens wide open and get down here with us. And this, and, and this is not, this is the thing that I think is interesting. This is not a peaceful picture, is it? You know, oh, that you would, oh, that you would gently part the heavens and unicorns and rainbows would just, you know, like that's not what's here, is it? Oh, that you would tear the heavens wide open and come down and that the mountains would start trembling before you as when a fire sets the twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down. A God that comes near and causes disturbance in us is better than a God that stays far away and lets us be. Church, do we realize that? Do we accept that? Do we accept that it would be better for God to come near and shake us up and maybe unbalance us some? rather than a God who stays comfortably distant and sectioned out of parts of our lives. I hope so. Because when God comes near, we must deal with him as he is. Not not as we might like him to be. When God's comfortably distant, we can keep him as we'd like him to be. You're allowed to come this far into my life, but this other part I'm not going to let you meddle with, and that's the, that's the safe, kind of comfortable relationship that we have. But then those times of despair and those times of brokenness, and when we get unbalanced and we see the world around us and we say, God, where are you in all this? And God says, well, I want to come near, but you better get ready. Because when I come near, it is going to change you. It is going to transform you. And transformation is messy sometimes. How much do we really want that? Because that's the spirit of Advent, is when the anticipation of God drawing near outweighs the discomfort of having him come in and change our lives up. What do we want more? For Isaiah, there's no question. He wants God. And he wants God here. And he wants God near. And ultimately, it's because Advent is us allowing ourselves to be 
open to God coming near. This, this, this Advent time that, I'm, that we're going to be going through in the next four weeks, this, this week and then all the way through and, and after uh, Christmas, we're calling it Follow the Star. And, and kind of centering on this idea of, of light and of, of, the, of the star and, and those themes that run through the gospel, through the story of Christ's birth. And the reason is because this is a journey that first and foremost calls us out of the darkness of the everyday, out of the darkness of the way that things seem, out of the darkness of the business as usual, and into the illumination of what truly is in Christ Jesus, which is different, which is new, which is sometimes unsettling, which is sometimes not our expectation, but is good. And first and foremost, it is a movement out of that darkness and into his light. It is a movement that puts despair and hope together and allows hope to contend with despair and allows hope to win. The images that we see in, 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 in the latter part of this chapter Even though all of us have become like one who is unclean and our righteous acts are like filthy rags, the the author says, Yet, O Lord, in verse 8, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter and we are all the work in your hands. Advent's about surrender. Advent's about being open. Advent's about presenting ourselves, saying, "Look, okay, I, I realize that I'm malformed, God. I realize that I'm unrighteous, Lord. I realize that I'm a fixer-upper, okay? I get that. But I'm still the work of your hand. And I'm not just the work of your hand that is a project, Do you see that? Before God is called the potter, he is called the father. And I love that it says, you know, oh, oh, look on us for we are your children. And even in the the ruin of what is, the chapter ends with a question. And it's a beautiful question. You look at where we are, God. You look at where we've been. You look at what's caused. You look at all of the story up until this point. And after all has been said and done, oh Lord, will you now hold yourself back? Will you keep silent? Will you allow this to continue? And the reason that that question dangles out there so beautifully is that it's a rhetorical question. We already know the answer. When my kid's in trouble, I don't care what they did to cause it. We'll deal with that later. When my kid's in trouble, I am sprinting hell-bent to get them out of trouble, or else I'm not worthy of being called parent. And we know that. I mean, Jesus even alludes to that, right? It's like, if, if you as human parents, even though you're evil, right, know, know 
the love that you have for your kids. This question that dangles out there, how could God not insert himself into the mess of his kids in order to rescue them? Because he is the source of all love, and he is the fount of all compassion. How could he not? This is not a question of hopelessness. This is a question of hope in the face of despair. Will you hold yourself back? Really? Could you even, God? Will you not speak? Will you not step in? Will you not be a part of my mess? As if he could. As if he could. He wouldn't be worth be calling God if he didn't step into my mess. If he didn't speak. If he didn't draw near. If he didn't move close to rescue. I wonder sometimes why we put up Christmas lights at our house. Our, our, house is speci- our house specifically, I know why other people put up Christmas lights, is because they're trying to outdo their neighbors, okay? We don't have any neighbors, okay? I mean, I, we, we do, but I mean, they're like way over there, okay? We're sitting out in acreage in the middle of the country, and we got trees around us. Why am I putting up Christmas lights, okay? I could be watching football this afternoon. I'm going to be putting up Christmas lights. Well, the Broncos game isn't until 5, so I've got time. No, I, why am I putting up Christmas lights? I got reminded of why I'm putting up Christmas lights on Friday, okay? Because I can tell you, I was coming home Friday afternoon, and I can't see anything at 5 o'clock on Friday on the backside of Elk Lake going down Oldfield. Why? Because the fog is everywhere. Like, I see this little flicker, 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 and all of a sudden I realize it's some dude on a scooter. And I'm like, you are brave or crazy or both, because I don't realize that it's a guy on a scooter until he's probably, like, to Herb from me. That's how that, yeah, there's Herb right there. Okay, just in case. Hi, Herb. Okay. And, and yet, in the fog... way out there in the distance, past the guy with the scooter. I can see just barely this kind of like glow in the, in the, as, as, the, as the, the day is completely faded and is now completely turning to dark, right? And I know that it's the street light, like the one street light on Oldfield that's like posted at the turn of my house. And later that night as I'm looking out and, and that fog has just kind of descended all over everything, I still just make out that little street light. And I remember why I'm putting up Christmas lights. Because, in, because just about every day that it's cloudy out there and it's going to be dark when I'm coming home and it's going to be foggy and I'm going to be like, you know, it's just... If I didn't have headlights, I wouldn't even know where I was. And as soon as I kind of crest that hill on Brooklyn back there, I can look across. There's this section where I can just kind of just look across Caddy Corner through everybody else's fields in between the trees. And I see my back deck because it's all lit up with Christmas lights, and I know that I'm on my way home. 
the people who are walking in darkness have seen a light. And to those who are living in the shadow of death all around them, a light is dawning in the distance. And we are those people. We are those people. We are those people who find ourselves surrounded by the death that time brings, by the atrophy that time brings to our bodies, that time brings to our careers, that time brings to our livelihood, that time brings to our relationships. We are the people who are surrounded by darkness and walking in the valley of the shadow of death, and yet in the middle of our despair, light has dawned in the distance through the fog darkly. And we know that it's not just a light that we're moving closer to, it is also the light of the hope that is moving toward us, like we talked about in class today. That the kingdom of God is coming nearer and coming nearer, and every day is a day that we are running toward what is getting closer to us. But the hope of Advent is not just the hope that we receive, it is also the hope that we reflect. As we are beacons of hope in the darkness of the season. Not just for me, the traveler who's on my way home, but also for any traveler who happens to find themselves out on that road and they see the light of my house. And know that it's a beacon in the darkness, right? And I think about that this season, all the opportunities that, that were shared, that, that, that Tammy shared, the hamper that we fill up and that we give out, they are beacons of hope to those that we know and love. I think especially of, of this stocking project that, that we're going to partner with Extreme Outreach in, where it's specifically targeting the homeless men that are out on the streets. Women and kids get taken care of. Men get forgotten. And there are, more, there are more male homeless population on the streets than there are women and children by a long shot. And even just in these little things that we are holding it out like a beacon of hope in the darkness and saying, here is hope in the middle of despair. The caroling that we're doing on the 14th, bringing hope through a simple song. I also think of the I also think of the Christmas pageant that we're doing on the twenty first. I mean, who does not love seeing our kids reenact this story that we hold so dear to our hearts? And seeing little sheep stumbling around, you know, on the stage and everything. Who doesn't love that? But but that's more than just what it's more than just what they do, it's the hope that they provide. They are actually ministering to us. And I really encourage you, especially especially this year, we're we're partnering what, what the kids are doing with John, John Wason, who's, who works with uh, YWAM and does Word to Life dramatic production. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing event on the night of the 21st. And that, that friend that you've been always thinking that you should bring with you during Christmas time, this is the time to bring them. 
This is, this is that time for them to encounter the beacon of hope in the darkness. To find that hope in the midst of the despair of their season. This is the year to have those that you care about encounter hope through you. As you yourself anticipate and receive the hope, even in the midst of your darkness. I think of the cry of Psalm 80 that we read this morning as the lights were dark and the candle was shining. Restore us, O God. Restore us, O God Almighty. Restore us, O Yahweh, God Almighty. Make your face to shine on us so that we may be saved. It is the cry of those living in the darkness, shine on us. It is the cry of the church, shine on us. It is the cry of those in the darkness to the church, please shine on us. Awaken in your might, O Lord, come and save us. Let that be the cry of our hearts now. Let's stand and let's worship the one who has come and the one who is coming.